0: You've got uh, a wonderful halo.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep, it's right. really with me most
0: times. You carry the halo.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, that makes
0: sense. Bring it with you. Pretty typical. You have a you have a you have a small child carrying a lamp. A I lot mean, of people don't notice it, but kind of my thing. Whoa. Well, I've revealed it. Revealed the secret. Oh no. Okay, everyone. So uh, myself and Lisa are back again. Again. In another episode of of Lisa surprises Phil with a topic. What is today's topic, Lisa?
1: The general topic we're going to call Connection Accelerators, and in our conversation, Phil, I want to share my list with you, the rationale for why I came up with this list, and then how, based on a workshop I did earlier this week called Connections Before Content, how I would potentially even challenge my own naming of that workshop, and why I think the name of the workshop may work against us unintentionally. So, shall I dive into this? Dive in. I know you'll do a sound effect for that, and I can't wait to hear what it is. Connections before content is not a term that I made up, that you made up. I think it's certainly, you know, a common phrase in our work, meaning that before we expect people to accomplish difficult tasks or grapple with difficult academic topics that we find value in creating a connected classroom environment, camp environment, and so forth. And I thoroughly believe that. I don't question that. I think the piece that I want to talk about with you is what helps sort of create connections more effectively and more efficiently, but also this idea of connections before content, I think may unintentionally give the impression that you have to do all these games that you learn from adventure educators before you can get into any sort of classroom content. And I think back to when my son was going into his senior year of high school, and this was sort of the first time that COVID restrictions were pretty lifted. The policy of the district was, we're going to do three days of team building activities in class before we get into any academic subject. And Sam came home from school saying, we're not allowed to learn until we do all these games. And think like unpack that expression, we're not allowed to learn until we do all these games. That's not the impression that we wanna give as trainers, that the games are separate from the learning. So I think that's one piece I'd love to talk about. But in the creating of this workshop that I've done a few times, and I know you've done similar topics I thought about presenting to the audience and I had this on a flip chart. What are the sort of components of what I call connection accelerator? So why don't we start with, I want to read you my list and then see first where you might disagree, which would be helpful to hear, but also where you might add something. So what would you take away? What would you add to this list? One is collective novelty. So when something is new for everyone versus New for some people versus review for others. So wherever possible, how can you have something that's new for everyone? Number two on my list is emotional significance and opportunities for emotional expression. So in my world, that's like how is the activity or the content made meaningful to the individuals versus external to the purpose of the gathering? The third bullet is simply joy which is different from happiness and different from fun, but just like spontaneous moments of laughter or smiling, or even if they're fleeting, but opportunities for joy. Number four is the collective accomplishment of challenging tasks. The Heath brothers have a, have a, a quote in their Power of Moments book that it's something like, if you want a group to bond like cement, give them a difficult task to accomplish. The next one is sharing our why and not just our what. And that's something that I've taken inspiration from you and sort of how we connect not just on our data, but on the why of our data. Right. Like if I say I'm from Amherst, Mass and you say I'm from Ipswich, England, where do you go from there? Versus if we say share something like why do you love your favorite flavor of ice cream is such a different question from what's your favorite flavor of ice cream. Um, Next is choice and autonomy and engagement. I think we could make that, you know, that's similar to challenge by choice, but I think it's really sort of, there's multiple pathways to engage in whatever the content or activity is. And then finally, a clear rationale for how connections will help the group. I think it's that rationale piece that, that we sometimes miss the boat on. So why do we need to do team building if the group is never going to interact with each other, if it's more of a lecture style? So it's like, why do we do icebreakers? Why do we find it important to know about each other? It's so we can take risks as learners. It's so we can set goals on a challenge course, whatever that is, but making that rationale clear. So that's my list. What would you add and what would you challenge?
0: I'm not sure I'd challenge anything, but I do think that the notion of... Connection before content has been blown up in the same way that we've discussed in the past about challenge by choice, where it gets tag words that get created in the field become almost central to people's thoughts that this is the the way it has to be done. They kind of get like stuck on it, you know, and especially when it gets brought in early on in trainings. And I've been, I've said, I've, I've said, I've said this phrase in trainings. Right, it's really important to do connection first. But what I think that I I would challenge in my own thing about some of this stuff is none of these things on this list that you just uh, said there have to be done at the start, and and can't disperse themselves within the entire program. It's almost bef- instead of connection before content, connection is the content. The things that we're actually doing, I've experienced more connective moments in shared experiences on a course than maybe I have in the connection activities themselves. So an example would be at the last training I went to, we were expecting storms on the first afternoon and the second full day. So I had to, I had five days to teach them how to belay and they didn't want to prioritize activity that I would normally do like a three hour morning sequence on activity. Over the fact that I have to have to teach them how to belay, and I thought, well, I'm going to shift it up and I'm going to do the belaying immediately, and then I'll save some of the activities for after the fact. And I was really nervous about it because I normally rely on the fact that I'm going to do the connection activities in the sequence. But I actually worked out really, really well. It was surprisingly well getting people belaying. That that experience of learning and doing something unique, it's collective novelty, as you suggested. And there's accomplishment of a challenging task. A, a lot of the things that are on your list: the joy, emotional significance, choice, autonomy, clear rationale what we were doing. I think that there's a we connected more in that in that than I think we did, would have had I just done activities. And when I ended up then doing a connection sequence, like an Ubuntu sequence, we sort of I don't know. It felt it felt richer. It felt richer because we'd already kind of got rid of the the webs of strangers you know like you don't connect in a good deep conversation necessarily with a complete stranger in the same way that once you've created a moment then you can connect the people
1: exactly so you're talking about ballet school I was thinking about teaching knots like if I look at my list of connection accelerators there's nothing that says that this list can't be addressed by the teaching of technical content like ballet school or teaching knots I think a piece that I might add to that with some of that specific technical content instruction, whether it's on a challenge course or in a classroom, would be something about folks being able to share how they learn. And I don't think that's always possible or practical in a, you know, 35 minute physics class necessarily, but I would challenge all of us to sort of think about how are you able to have people express. This is the way that I want to show up as a learner. So you as the instructor can help potentially support that. So I don't know if I would put that necessarily in my list of connection accelerators, but I think it's an important thing to ask ourselves always, if, have I found, have I made space for people to articulate, I don't really learn well by verbal, is there a written instruction to this? Or um, I'm not going to get it at first can we share this multiple times or you know whatever that is
0: i think that's something i w- think that i could would add is role modeling vulnerability from the perspective of the facilitator i've been trying desperately to not desperately but i've been trying to normalize mistake making in the trainings more often you and know and i've found benefits in that but i've been vulnerable about saying like mistakes that i've made or you know the reason I teach this this way, or the reason I give you this little tip, is because because th- I was the one who messed up, right? Like, you know, there's certain things that I do around belaying, or you know, I talk about the pinch in the hands in the ATC, like don't get your hands too close. Well, it's happened to me, right? and you're like clearly stating that rather than saying like what the nots to do, saying what I've done wrong, and that's the reason why I teach it. I think that that I think that's a feels like that it's accelerating the ability to connect at least from my perspective to connect with them because we've talked about in previous episodes that distance that comes from expertise like the more you're in the field the further you feel like you can truly connect with the group so I've been trying to remind myself of all the mistakes I've made when I started and bring them up in a training aspect to say like that we've all we can all we all make mistakes or at least I've done these myself so I think that that seems to I would Potentially add that from the perspective of what can, what not not the framework of the of the the things that create connection, but what do what can I do as a facilitator? Because that's what I'm, I'm intrigued to go into. Maybe maybe we could step into this with this list. Is these li- these things are make sense, but then how do we actually do those? What how do we create collective novelty or sent moments of joy or accomplishing challenges? Us? What do we do as facilitators maybe to help that?
1: Starting with collective novelty, one of the things I used to do a lot because I was curious was ask, does anybody already know this activity? Like, why did I ask that? Like, what was the point of that question? I think it's to almost gauge for myself, like how many of them are going to like think this is awesome because it's, it's novel. So I don't think it's a bad thing to be wondering about, but I've sort of stopped asking that question because what if three quarters of the hands go up and then a quarters don't like what do you do do with that you know it's not going to be collectively novel I just kind of create an environment where I don't make a lot of references like I learned this game from so and so and da 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 I just play the game without a lot of preamble and if somebody's already done it fine they've never done it with this group with me with these people on this day I think it can feel more collectively novel if we don't put a lot of that preamble what do you think about that
0: Yeah, I agree. I just do activities. I and I sometimes I look around the group as I'm introing something, and I can tell someone's done it by the way that they're like, or like nod along or like giggle because they know the name. Like I mentioned, mentioned something, and they're like, "Oh, okay." But I tend to at least to do a few to start with that I think that you know may catch people that they haven't seen, especially if I'm new to a group. But even if I'm returning, I used to like. If I were returning and I knew that there was some stuff that had been there before, I used to try to create a brand new agenda. And I kind of like got rid of that because I think the novelty sometimes can be as simple as the, the location, right? Like even if, if we've taken them to a new spot and then do an activity and then you go to a new spot, like there is some novelty in it. But I think adventure anyway, our our, our industry is kind of consistently novel that I think that it kind of, just by the relationship of the what we're doing it, it makes it collectively novel. Teachers, schools will say this, like it's nice just to have another person come into the space who's not the teacher. You know, there's novelty in a new person if it's in the same location. Or it can be novel if it's the same person in a new location. So I was just back at a site that I've been to before, I did all my sort of activity flows in a different place than I've done it in the past. And I and even that in itself was different than the previous time I did it. I got this email today and I'm just going to do that. I'll just read this one line from it. Absolutely love when you come to, and I'm going to leave out the location, but it feels like, because it feels like a reunion, yet we learn so much more. It's different every time you come. I think that there, I think that that even suggests, because that's the thing I often get nervous about is that like, just because I looked at the two agendas and they're they relatively the same. But what I've found is that sometimes in the, in what I'm referencing, you know, I'll, I'll say a line that's helpful or useful to say, oh, and if you do this, then this will happen. And then the next time I'll, I'll, I'll have forgotten to mention that. Like every time I teach an activity, the activity I'm teaching is sort of slightly different. I find only because I forget stuff or someone, well, I think that's the nature of facilitation, right? Things present themselves. Like someone will ask a question or someone will giggle or some, like something will happen in an activity when we lead it, that's different than the last time we led it. And that leads to another like point of view or framing, or it just makes me think of something different. So even the repetition, repetition of activities, are novel. So that would be my reference to once again our Tinker book, but like the the, the concept of don't worry about new activities every time. Even every time you do an activity, is always going to somewhat turn out slightly different, even if it's minusculely different than the previous time you did it. There's always something, and what I don't pick up on sometimes as the trainer. Is that people who have seen me run an activity once, if they see me sit, lead it twice, the two times might be slightly different, and they gain a different bit of learning from it. It's like it's like uh, listening to a podcast episode twice, uh, and then you hear a sec- something different the second time, or reading a book d- twice, you know, like, or watching a movie twice. You know, like all those different things. I'm excited to watch the new Spider Man again twice, that because there was so much in it that I definitely missed the first time round. Right. So I think that that's some. Um, anyway, I'm rambling. I think that that's about that uh, collective novelty that I think sometimes we underestimate.
1: And what you just said makes me think about two very concrete points. One is that when you ask people to share their why, which is another thing on the list, that's always going to be collectively novel because this group of people has ostensibly never been a group of people together. So you say, let's talk about oddly specific moments of joy. Well, they've never shared that information together. That's one thing. And then another thing is the only piece that I think about when you talk about how do we facilitate collective novelty is I would tend to stay away from problem solving activities that have a specific solution that the group has to find. Because if two people already know the solution to one, two, three equals 20 or a traffic jam, it, it's not going to give you that sort of collective novelty bang that you're looking for.
0: That's why, to be honest, it's slightly off topic. Problem-solving activities that have a single solution, I stay away from. I, I tend to find they're like riddles, you know, like once single solutions, I think, trap people into a space where they don't have the creativity to think outside of it. But anyway.
1: I agree. And I, I think it, especially we, when used early on in a program, it sort of creates a facilitator dependence and dynamic that, you know, I have all the answers and your goal in this training is to find that. Like, that's not really the tone that we need to set. Emotional significance and emotional expression, we kind of talked about, you know, you've talked about today and in other episodes, Phil, about sort of expressing vulnerability or talking about the nerves on the first day. I'm not sure if I have anything else to add to that.
0: The only thing I, w- I think adds in and, and, it, and it lines up with a clear rationale is often I will mention that the, and I'll this about the one, the what as well, like when we're connecting, when we're learning about something about each other, Often, if I'm doing an Ubuntu commonalities activity, let's say, I'll tell people to go for a, a commonality that's between them that's a level two commonality. Level one being obvious, like we're both standing up, or you know, those, those clear things that if you just looked at someone you know, but the level two is you go deeper and ask questions. But what I've, I often reference is that connection ties in really well with empathy, in that if you truly connect with somebody... Uh, Over a topic then you're more likely to empathize with them because you've had that shared experience like empathy has to come from being able to picture yourself in their shoes often because you've been in those same positions whereas sympathy is understanding like oh I I feel for you but I've never been in that situation before myself so that the connection part I think ties into then empathy which then ties into trust and and, and all those kind of things like blossom out from that notion of the reason we're doing this, the reason I want us to connect, often about something that's very personal to us, that helps people empathize deeper, and that that's that's why sometimes I role model. This is the thing I'm going to try to like. I connect with, or at least I'm going to reference this as the experiences I have, because the experiences, emotions are far more powerful to connect with than the just the the who you are, Which I think that we've we've referenced before. I found a really I found it really beneficial. This this uh, the last training that I went to. Just to immediately highlight the nervous energy at the start. like I did an activity, I did jump and jump hours I always often do. And I just r- immediately train a hat on I do this activity. this is my golden activity. Why do I do it? And I went into the rationale of why. And then then we went into a, something a little bit more connective. I just think that, that that me adding that rationale of like this is why I also did this activity and this vulnerability that I have around this, opened people up to more connection later and a couple of people thanked me for it afterwards, which uh, that's not the aim, but it certainly creates the opportunity for that acknowledgement. You know, like we're, just because we're trainers and we're doing this a while doesn't mean we're invulnerable to these kind of feelings, right? Totally.
1: I mean, I think as we're talking, a lot of these kind of blend together, not only with each other, but also in previous things that we've talked about on Vertical Playpen, the accomplishment of challenging tasks, we all know like a problem solving activities bring out aspects of personality. They bring out sort of common celebration. So for me, that's kind of a given. I don't think we need to add any more detail to that. But I think going back to what you said at the beginning of the conversation, that challenging task does not need to be some experiential adventure activity. It can be something more academic or technical or content related. Choice and autonomy and engagement. I realize that that reality looks different in so many different settings, right? Like if I'm a middle school English teacher, I can't really say to my student, well, it's your choice if you want to go in the back and take a nap, right? But as much as we can, how do we, even without stating it, allow for individuals to engage in their own way? And I think it really is sort of that simple of a question, knowing that you know, you and I both, I think, share this value of not overstating that concept of choice, especially early on, but more picking activities that inherently allow for those concepts of intrinsic motivation to come through, right? And I often use knee tag" as a way of sort of talking about different pathways for engagement. Anything else you want to add on that particular point?
0: no but I, but i think that there are certain activities that we can put out there that create a little bit more openness around the choice and the autonomy certain activities that don't highlight an individual as a perfect example of like you don't put someone on the spot so even even connection activities i don't do tend to do connection activities that involve one person just speaking in front of a group so example would be uh go around the circle say your name and if you had a superpower what would you have well, if we like, like if we looked at that, we could analyze that particular frame that prompt, and it wouldn't hit many of these things on these lists, so it's not going to overall accelerate that kind of connection ability, but when you put people on the spot, I think that you take their choice and autonomy off right you 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 could make the statement of well we you can pass right if you don't want to go sometimes I find even that though there's always like Stuff that's hidden within behind instruction or words, right? When you say the statement of like, oh, if you don't want to say it, you could just pass. It's a it's it's a very rhetorical almost thing to say like you should pass because people don't want to have to feel like they're the one that passed. Have you ever experienced that? Because I I did that recently with um passing the knot. Now I like that as a reflection. Essentially you've got a knot and a rope and in a circle of rope and you're passing it around. The reason that's good is because i often pass it twice around, and i think that's a good plan if you don't want to go on your turn you can just let it go and you've got another round to do it Um, but even even when i've opened up the opportunity to pass if the group isn't connected doesn't know each other really well people feel awkward about passing and then there's giggles when people say they want to pass how does that make that person feel about passing right so even in those moments i don't think that you've created that true true choice and autonomy so I tend to avoid activities that involve a singular person saying something in front of a larger group if my aim is to connect someone.
1: Yes, I think that, and that gets into sort of the placement of activities. Anybody who's listening to this, who has taken a workshop with me knows that I love Passinat. I will often use it in almost a ritual, like multiple times. And what I have found is if I pass it around once without it stopping and I say, okay, next round, if you'd like to have a comment, go ahead and stop. And I think it it can be a helpful, like, let's just what it looks like. And the other piece, and you've heard me say this before, Phil, but it's something I'm really, really, really focusing on this summer is when I remove the word just, like you can just pass. I think it helps to create a more authentic delivery of what I really mean, which is you can share or you can just pass. What I'm implying is I really would much prefer that you share. Right. So I, I think it's how do you One, I don't think we always have to articulate all those choices with a certain group. I think, I hope that we've created a situation where those are implied, but then two, try not to create unintentional hierarchies with one choice being better by using words like just or simply or only or all that evaluative language. I skipped over the bullet point of joy just because I think I'm not really sure what to say about that. Like, how do we as facilitators... Make sure that we have joy. And I guess I want to not skip that and really try to name it with your help. Like, I, for me, I think one is I don't think we need to overperform and be overenthusiastic. That's what not what I mean by joy. But I think that there is a way that we can convey to folks that we love our work and that we enjoy what we do. So I think that's one piece of bringing joy. But I think the other piece, um, I'm not sure if this will make sense to you or our audience, but for me, it does. It's like, I think that there's an impact of the visual space around joy, you know, the sort of aesthetic component of is the learning space clean? And I know that sounds so silly in the context of like connection, but I really do think. You know, you want people to learn ballet school and they're going into a shed that's moldy and it's got squirrels. And it's like, I, I think that that works against us in this area of joy and sort of feeling well cared for and that sort of more pleasant emotions. So there's an aesthetic component to that. Um, and I think joy is not the same as goofy and silly. I don't know how to explain it further. I wonder how you would distinguish between
0: those two things, between joyful and silly. I would reference the word energy in that I think that every single one of us as facilitators can present positive energy towards it. And you sort of said like that you enjoy your work. Like there's a difference between like the way that I might facilitate an activity. It, as an example, I just did another uh, version of, I did War Master, but I did like slightly different added. I don't know why I did this. I started creating a bigger story around me being the master of war. At the start, like I talked about it for a long time before I even introduced the activity because it brought me some, it made me laugh. And I think that that is important to bringing joy into an activity. There's this notion that when I've done activities, when I think about my agenda, I try to think that every other activity needs to make me laugh. Like that's that's sometimes when I write it, that is intentional. I don't pick an activity. And I mentioned this to groups when I'm training. If you don't like an activity I lead, do not run it. Because the, you're really gonna struggle to be able to bring that level of energy into the space of the activity. And I think it's just even if it's calmness or lower lower uh, enthusiasm, let's say, but but still, you're happy running it. I think that that's really helpful. Like just brought through the the tones that we use of our words, the affect of our faces, like are we smiling when we're introducing something versus looking miserable or bored? People can pick up on all that stuff. And I think those contribute to that sense of joy. That's not just like, like being a clown and just jumping in with like super crazy energy. But either way, I run an activity would be different than yours. But I think they they experience joy from both of those, right? Like, I think that it's, I think as you suggested, it's how much do we enjoy uh, the work that we're doing? And that energy is helpful.
1: Mm-hmm, totally you know, I don't think we need to keep going through each point because I think as we're talking, I realize at least that they all, these all kind of blend together in terms of how do we accomplish these. I will speak to the clear rationale for how connections will help the group. So this is what happened. And I've done this before in other workshops. So at this conference this week, and I had 30 something people in the room, I started not by introducing myself or giving a resume. You know, I'm awkward about that, but I just said, raise your hand if you've ever had, a cringy experience in team building or icebreakers. And every single person raised their hand. And then I said, raise your hand if you've taken one of those experience and then led that with another group. And once again, most of us raised our hands. So I think it's sort of like giving ourselves permission to say, if it didn't work for me as an adult learner, it very likely may not work for the people that I'm trying to teach or facilitate. And it's sort of interrupting that that sort of learning cycle. You know, for me, I think my final point would be, this does not need to be a universal list. Like I I think I would be fascinated for people to create their own list based on my experience as a learner when I've been a part of a group that has bonded well and that is able to take on difficult things, what has made that accelerate? And I would suspect that we're not all gonna have the same list, it's not universal. I think it's just sort of thinking about what are those components that will help the connection and are they inherent in the design? Do I have those bases covered? I think would be a really interesting next step for this conversation.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Lisa. I'm just going to just summarize the list. So connection accelerators are collective novelty, emotional significance and emotional expression, joy, accomplishment of challenging tasks, sharing our why and not just our what, choice and autonomy and engagement, and a clear rationale for how connections will help the group with maybe a sub point or another point around uh, role modeling vulnerability. And once again, if you have any other uh, things you'd like to add to the list, feel free to reach out to us. Um, you can email podcast at highfiveadventure.org. That's podcast at H-I-G-H, the number five adventure.org. Or you can uh, direct message me on Instagram if you're there at Vertical playpin and I respond to all of those messages. So please send me a message. I like it. Thank you, Lisa, for bringing another topic to this episode.
1: You're very welcome. Bye, friends. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Vertical Playcast.
0: And then what about thanks for listening to High Fives Podcast? Can you do it? Okay, try. Thanks for giving Article a Guy! <laughs> <laughs>